tonight, uh, you would open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We do have care available for kids up to the age of three. If that's what you want to do. If you want to keep them here, that's fine also. But uh, for us, we are going to cover verses 12 through 17 today. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the Lord, or let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and spiritual psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord. Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And that is the word of the Lord. Amen. So I hope you recognize my, me emphasizing the word and. Um, that was sprinkled throughout this passage. We'll talk about that a little later. It's very important, all the things that Paul is directing the church in Colossae to do. Um, to go back to last week and to hit on some of the highlights last week because the sermon from last week and today's sermon really go hand in hand. Just really didn't have the time to go through um, all of that from verse 1 all the way to verse 17 in one, in one sitting. So last week, though, as far as uh, highlights are concerned, the one thing that I want us to remember is that the fact that I said that although we're not who we used to be, we thank God for that. Uh, we're a different person, a new creation, a new creature in Jesus Christ our Lord, um, and it's all because of God. We're not who we used to be, but we, are, we also have to know and we have to confess that we're not who we're supposed to be. Um, we're in between salvation and glorification. And uh, salvation and glorification, they serve as bookends to our spiritual growth, or they serve as bookends to sanctification. Now, when we talk about sanctification, we understand that this is, this is a word that, that that encompasses spiritual growth, it and spiritual growth happens uh, through the good, bad, and ugliness of life. So when we look at sanctification, that's, prob that's the hardest thing within a Christian's life because the way sanctification works is that it's very rewarding. Uh, God blesses us when we are being sanctified, but many times we are sanctified through struggle, right? So you have this companionship of growing in the Lord but also struggling at the same time. And, and so that's where we're at. We, we're not who we used to be. We've been saved and we've been justified. We've been transformed. But we're not who we're supposed to be because we haven't been glorified. But yet, the Bible says that as we grow older, the outer wastes away, but the inner is being renewed day by day. So that is the process of sanctification. The good news is that you're growing as a Christian. The bad news is that it's taking place through the good, bad, and ugliness of life. Well, today we'll look at Paul's letter 
uh, to the believers there in Colossae, the second part of what we started last week. And uh, we'll look at how he helps them to understand themselves. You ever, you ever wonder who you are or why you are the way you are, right? Do you ever wonder that? Sometimes, yeah, it's easy for us to look back in the past and say, well, I've been through this. I've done this. Uh, these are the people I know. All these things lead up to who I am today. Well, but I'm, I'm talking about even deeper than that. I'm talking about like on a creation level, on a spiritual level, they, Paul is teaching them who they are, who they are, their makeup, who they were created for. Like these are really important things that, that they're learning here. It's not just about who they are as a personality or as, 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 as people, but these are who you were created to be, uh, God's intention in, in, in creation and and what happened with that, how sin, how sin came in and corrupted that, but yet how now God sent Christ into the world, and now there's salvation, transformation, and glorification in Christ. Like, these are really important things. So Paul's letter here helps him to deal with who they are, helps him to deal with themselves. Yes, they're saved by grace. Yes, they've been transformed. But why do I still sin? That's the ultimate question. Why do I still struggle with sin? Well, that is uh, talked about here in this passage, and that's what we're going to look at. Because Paul teaches that the traits of the old nature still lurk. And they must be consciously, or they must consciously walk by the new nature in order to please God. So in order for us to talk about the new nature and how we're supposed to put it on, let's talk about the old nature first and back up just a little bit for context sake. Verses 9 and 10, Paul talks about putting off the old nature. He says, at the very end of this list, this, sin, this uh, list of sins, he says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So even there, Paul talks about sanctification. It's clear. This is exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about this stage in life that we are in as believers. And Paul uses an analogy of putting off and also putting off the old nature and putting on the new nature. He, and he compares that to getting dressed. And I love that because that's something hopefully we all do, right? We all get dressed every single day that it's time to get up and go to work or, or, or even if you're home and you're working, we get dressed. So this is something very simple that we can understand. The believers in Colossae were to put off the fleshly, the uh, carnal desires that were listed in verses 5 through 11. I'm not going to go back and read all of them, but I'm going to recap. First of all, there are several classifications of sins that Paul talks about in verses 5 through 11. He talks about sexual sins, sexual immorality, impurity. Impurity is immoral sexual sin, points back to that. Passion, really, that means lust, evil desires sexual cravings. Uh, so he lists all these sexual sins. And then he talks about the sin of greed or pride because he mentions covetousness. He says, which is idolatry. Um, then he, he, he breaks them apart. There's two sets of lists. The second set, he talks about emotional sin, uh, the sin of anger, wrath, malice. And then there's a sinful speech that he speaks about, slander, obscene talk. And then he says, do not lie to one another. So this is what they are to put off, and this is what the sermon was about last week. We need to actively 
uh, put those traits to death in us. This is who we used to be. This is how we used to walk. And when I say walk, I mean how we consistently live because the work walk in the Bible many times in the New Testament points to a consistent lifestyle. So Paul says this is the way you used to walk. We are not to walk in this way anymore. Now, we can imagine these things. I'd like for us to imagine these things as soiled or or tattered garments. If Paul's going to use that analogy, I'm going to follow along with it. These sinful things, the sexual sins, the, the greed, the pride, the emotional sins, the sinful speech, all those things, I want us to see those as soiled or, or, or tattered garments, uh, just things that you don't wear. These clothes should, shouldn't be worn at all. Um, I'm, I'm sure you've seen it before, different examples, different pictures, but you ever seen the people of Walmart? You see people who go to Walmart all the time, and they're just wearing all kinds of crazy stuff. It's it's like you go to Walmart, you think, no one's going to see me there, so I'm just going to put on whatever I want. That's when you see somebody there, and then you're like, oh my goodness, I'm wearing something I shouldn't be wearing. Well, here's the question. What use do new creatures, because the Bible says once we come to Christ, we're transformed. We're not the person we used to be. So what use do new creatures have with soiled garments? I think that's something for us to think about. And, and for us to get a good picture of that, we have a lot of babies here at this church that have just recently been born. And, and if you talk about a new creature, you think of a baby, right, from a physical standpoint. What happens when a baby, when, when a baby is dirty, when their, their diaper is dirty? No one leaves, no one leaves a, a baby in a soiled diaper, right? Just all day, just leave the baby like that. You're going to change the baby. You have this beautiful, adorable, little screaming creature in your hand. And, but you, you don't want them to suffer in that way. What use does a, a, a new, beautiful little baby have in a soiled diaper? In the same way, in, from a spiritual standpoint, what use do new creatures have in soiled clothing? What use do we have for these sinful things that we once walked in? Um, these carnal sins... That Paul listed, verses 5 through 11. It makes me think of the prodigal son. When the prodigal son came and told his his father, I want my inheritance. I want nothing to do with you. I'm going to go spend it the way I want to spend it. He leaves. He goes. He spends it all. He ends up up basically being a caretaker of pigs. And, And the lowest part of his life is when he's sitting there with the pigs that he's supposed to clean, that he's supposed to keep up with which were unclean animals. That, that's where he is at in his life. He's completely away from the father. He is being completely rebellious. And he's sitting there and he's longing to eat the food of the pigs. And I just imagine the prodigal son, here is this, his, his, this, this son who doesn't have to suffer in this way, but the reason why he is suffering because he has run away from the father. I can just imagine him being so hungry that he, gets on his knees, and he's eating with the pigs because he has nothing to eat. That's what I imagine, This the, the, what these tattered and these soiled clothing are like. And Paul says, in these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now, he says, you must put them all away, verses 7 and 8. Just put on 
the new nature instead. And this is where we start with our verse in verse 12, our passage in verse 12. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Now, I, know, I want us to notice something very important about this passage, and we're just going to stop right there because we have to, we have to make this distinction in, in, with this scripture. Notice that these clean, holy garments that Paul is speaking now, he said, put on then as, as, put on then as God's holy are as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Notice that these traits, or in other words, if we're going to use the analogy, notice that these holy garments are only made for the children of God. That, he says, put on then as God's holy, are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. See, only God's chosen ones who are holy and beloved, not through anything we've done, not through our own good works, but we are holy and beloved through the blood of Christ, can put these clothes on. Only God's chosen, holy and beloved, can have these holy traits that come from the Father. They remind me of the Old Testament garments of the priests. Only the priest wore those. Nobody else could. Well, what does the Bible say about us? Well, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And these garments that he's speaking about here, they're only for you. If you are in Christ, these traits, these godly traits, they're only for you. They don't belong on anybody else. You haven't noticed already, and I'm sure you have. I've been here long enough. I'm not a very trendy person when it comes to my clothes. Um, a lot of the shirts that I even wear Sunday in and out, if, if I'm going to dress up, I've had for a long time, some since we've joined the church, and that's been 21 years already. No joke. I still have those shirts. I still wear them. Um, you know, change them out, and, and I just go through the, the, the cycle of clothing that I have. Some haven't lasted with me. Uh, some have torn, have to throw them away. Some, for some reason, they have shrunk and they're tighter on me. I don't know what happened to those. But bad material that they're made with or something. But if they fit, they, I still wear them. I, I just, I, I, I seek comfort over anything else. And so... I'm not a trendy person. I don't keep up with the latest fashions. In fact, when I put things on that, let's say, the people are wearing nowadays, I just I feel awkward and I feel like it doesn't really fit me. I feel uncomfortable, especially if it has to be tight or if it has to be anything else, snug, tight. Uh, those, those don't fit well with me. So don't expect me to wear skinny jeans at any time. <laughs> but I have a friend. I have a friend who, no matter what he does, no matter what he puts on, it looks good on him. He, he can wear a hat. He can wear a scarf. He can wear whatever. It looks good on him. And so it makes me think about, like, believers. Believers, the traits that God has given us are for us. We are made in his image. So are people who don't believe. They're made in God's image. But they represent, they, they, they have fallen image. They have sin who has corrupted them. They have not been changed. So 
So then, therefore, they cannot have the holy traits of their father. But for us, so all they wear is tattered and soiled garments. But for us, we have been changed. God has transformed our hearts. We're new creatures. We can have the holy traits of our father. We get to wear these holy robes. And like the clean robe that the father placed on the prodigal son upon his return, it reminds me that our father, he clothes us with holy garments that are made by him and they're for us. This is what Paul is saying we need to put on. We need to put off the old soiled and tattered clothing and we need to put on these holy garments made Put on then, he says, verses 12 through 14, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. That's, that's something we need to put on. We need to put on kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, these Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I'm a guy who likes patterns. Notice the patterns here. Compassionate hearts leads to kindness. I love how Paul groups these, these different things together. Compassionate hearts leads to kindness. Humility leads to meekness. He puts them one after another. Patience, what does that lead to? It leads to Bearing with one another. Forgiveness leads to loving one another. What's the greatest display of love? It's to forgive. See, the point is that we are to provoke the gifts of God by conforming ourselves to the image of Christ. As he increases in us, and what I mean by that is as his traits increase in us, as we begin to conform as we conform more into the image of Christ, the traits of the old nature decrease. See, when a person dies, the memory of that person lives on. And, and that's the way I think we need to look at this. In a bad way here, in a negative way, the traits of the old nature in us live on. They live on unless we rid ourselves of them. So the message here is that we must emulate Christ for our new nature to shine through. And what does it look like when our new nature shines through? Well, since we've talked about putting off the old self, putting on the new, once we put on the new, once we live according to the Spirit, then we have fruit according to the Spirit. The Bible points out that as a tree is identified by its fruit, so will the Christian be identified by his work. Now, the only thing different is that it's not our fruit, right? It's not our fruit. It's not us producing this work in us. In fact, the Bible says that it is the Spirit's work. It is the fruit of the Spirit. So it's the Spirit's work in us. And if we walk by the Spirit, the Bible says we will produce godly fruit. But if we walk by the flesh, then we won't. We'll do the opposite. We'll produce ungodly fruit. And here, Paul points 
to the godly fruit that the Christians in Colossae will produce if they follow his words. Let's look at them. Uh, Verses 15 through 17. He says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's the way our lives should look. Going back to the clothing analogy, Some say the clothes make the man, meaning that if you look good, then you're more confident. Well, these new garments, these godly traits that we put on, they make us shine like the sun. Not S-U-N, but S-O-N. That's what's supposed to happen. We're supposed to be image bearers of our Savior. As he lived, we should live. He's the example that we must follow. Now, first, notice that when we clothe ourselves with Christ and walk in newness of life, notice the theme of thankfulness within Paul's message here, within his writing. If we are walking in Christ, then we are thankful for everything. This theme of thankfulness comes up three times within these two verses. And how these two verses are at the very end of our section. So listen to this. If you have the peace of Christ, it says, be thankful. Be thankful. How difficult is that? Because as I look out, I recognize most of the people here, if not everybody, is a member of this church. In order for you to be a member of this church, you have to be a Christian. So if you are a Christian, then you have been changed, you have been saved, you have been justified, you have been given love and hope and all these things, everything you need for life and godliness. What happens when things don't go your way? The very first thing you want to do is not be thankful. We don't remember our salvation whenever we can't pay our bills, right? That's that. That is very hard to do. Let's, let's be honest with ourselves. We, we can't, something in life happens to us. We don't automatically and immediately go back to, well, you know what, this bad thing, this horrible thing has happened to me, but at least I'm saved. I think eventually we get there. We have to remind ourselves of it. We have to go back to scripture, and that's what we're supposed to do. But initially, Thanksgiving for anything is not automatic. It is the work of God in us. It is the gift of God in us. But if we are in Christ, that's the conclusion we're going to come to. We're going to come to being thankful. And Paul makes that very clear. If you have the peace of Christ, be thankful. If you have the peace of Christ, Worship with thankfulness. Whatever you do, 
In word or deed, give thanks. That's what he's saying in verses 15 through 17. So it's kind of like no matter if you're, if you're living your life, no matter what happens to you, be thankful. When you worship the Lord, worship from a grateful heart. Be thankful. No matter what's going on, find a way. It's not going to happen automatically. You have to find a reason. You have to find a way. Then he just says, you know what? Whatever you, whatever you do, whatever you say, be thankful. Give thanks to God. See, the new man doesn't lose sight of his salvation. The new man does not lose sight of his future glorification. Therefore, Therefore, there is always a reason to be thankful. Listen, I'm not preaching at you. I'm including myself with this. This is hard. But we have to come around to thankfulness. Because despite everything that has happened, we are children of God. We are holy and beloved. We are given these holy garments to wear. And we have this future hope in us that no matter what happens to us here on this earth, it pales in comparison to the blessings of God in the next life. There's also a pattern here, though, in this section. He says, let the peace, let peace rule in your hearts. Let it rule, let it lead you, in other words. Let peace lead you. There are some of us who still are having issues with anger. We've been changed. We've been transformed. But yet we're just angry. And anger is leading us and not peace. We want to get angry about everything. That's our initial reaction. That's the trait of the old nature. When you were without Christ, you walked as an angry person. You may not be that same person. You may not walk as an angry person, but that trait does come up when it needs to. Paul says, no, rid yourself of that anger. You belong to the Lord now. Let peace rule in your hearts. And when you do that, enjoy unity of the body of Christ. Then he says, let the word of Christ dwell within you richly. But what happens when we do that? That leads to teaching. That leads to admonishing each other with wisdom. Then he says, whatever you do, in the context of the first two things that I mentioned, that's me paraphrasing it, as as I understand that passage, because Paul just says, hey, whatever you do in word or deed, in the context of what we're speaking about, do it all to the honor and the glory of God. So here's the conclusion. I I don't think I did a very good job last week in describing the process of the old nature and the new nature. First of all, it's very difficult to explain. But as I thought about it more this week and as as, as I was in the word and I was in prayer, I started thinking a little bit more about it. I said, you know what, I could have been a whole lot clearer because The confusing part about it is we are told in the word of God that the new nature is gone. Once we 
once we accept Christ and once we receive him and, and, and he, you know, he changes our lives, that new nature is gone. Or the old nature is gone, thank you. The old nature is gone, completely gone. And so we, that's the way we understand it. But then we read this passage and it says the new nature has come. Old, old nature gone, new nature come. We're a new creation. But then we read in this passage and Paul starts off um, in verse 5. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And that confuses us because we're like, well, wait a second. I thought that old nature was dead. Why are we still putting it to death? Well, I think, what's, I think this is more clear. And I think this is what will help you to understand the workings of the old man versus the workings of the new man in Christ. See, we must put to death any memory of the old man. Because Christ's work was sufficient. I don't want to make it sound like it wasn't sufficient, like the old man, you know, how he's been restored and he can take over your life. No, Christ's work was sufficient once and for all. He died once and for all. But the thing is, as I mentioned earlier, when someone dies, we memorialize it. When the old nature died, we are still dealing with his traits. We're still dealing with his legacy. And we must put to death any memory of the old carnal man in us. Why is this difficult? Well, it's difficult because he, the carnal man, the old man, wants to be memorialized forever. See, he not only wants to be remembered, but he wants to be honored. He wants to be honored by you continuing to do what you used to do. When his desire resurfaces, or his ideas come back into your mind, Paul says you must put him to death. When a good person dies, it's good to remember them. We enjoy that. In fact, we want to carry on their memory. We look at ourselves and we say, well, I have, I have this trait of this very important person who has died. I have this trait and I want it to continue because... In us, we feel like if we continue this trait, that person is still around in some way. If someone close to you has died and they're a very caring person, that's something that you focus on going forward. I've lost some very important people in my lives, especially if I look at the, the, at the, men, the, the, the manly figure in my life, my father, my grandfather. To this very day, their influence on how hard they work, it, 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 I carry that around with me every single time. Even when I want to quit, I remember those men. And I say, they never quit when it came to working, when it came to providing for their family. And so that's a trait that I want to continue to live on. And that's what we ought to do. Yesterday, we had a memorial service for Sister Deidre. We came and we spoke about her. We celebrated her life. We talked about her legacy. We talked about all these wonderful traits that she had. 
That's the way we want to remember her. We want those traits to live on in us because they're a reflection of our Lord. So it's a beautiful thing. But we shouldn't do that with the old man. It's good to, to memorialize those who are godly. It's good to memorialize the traits of the godly. Paul is saying, no, the old man is not godly. The old man is evil. He was lost. He was an enemy of God. Do not memorialize him. Do not live on with those traits. Put him to death. In memory, put him to death. In legacy, Put him to death. That's what we ought to be doing. Well, what does this require? This requires us to be active in our sanctification. Spiritual growth just doesn't happen. So we need to work at it with fear and trembling. Now, for the believers in Colossae, they needed to put to death what was earthly in them so that they could glorify God. We need to do the exact same thing. Now, this doesn't mean that we focus only on the outside and neglect the inside. Jesus warned about that. Matthew chapter 23, verses 27 and 28. This is what, he's, this is what Jesus says about that. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So, also, so you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. It's not just about looking clean. It's not just about working on the outside and behaving right. It's about the heart. It's about thankfulness. It's about dedication to our creator. You see, sin is seen with the flesh, but deep down inside, it's a heart problem. That's what makes us guilty. That although sin is displayed with our flesh, it proceeds from our hearts. That's why asceticism doesn't work. That's why Paul talked about that earlier. The, the, the punishing of the physical body in order to change the spiritual nature, it's not going to work. It does nothing for the spiritual nature. So he sits there and he speaks about asceticism and speaks against it. When we merely punish the body, it does nothing to change the heart. Why? Because the heart is changed by God through Christ, according to the Spirit, through the Word of God. That's it. That's it. If you're frustrated with something in your life, you have sin in your life, there is no 10 steps to changing yourself. All you're doing is changing a behavior. You're not changing that part of you. Your heart is not changing in any way. The only way to change your heart is to come to Christ. The only way to come to Christ is by, the Lord, by God's leading by the Holy Spirit and through the word of God. So what does that tell us? Well, listen, if you have a problem, and we all have a problem, if you have sin, and we all have sin, 
This is the answer, and it's going to be really profound. It's going to surprise you. It's going to just blow your mind. Stay in his word. Amen? Stay in his word. Doesn't matter how old you are. If, if you are a believer, stay in his word. Pray. Pray for change. No matter how many times you fell in that area of your life, no matter how long that sin seems to be there beside you, you continue to pray for change. Put on godly garments every day. And I'm not talking about the clothes that you wear. I'm talking about these spiritual garments that Paul was speaking about in this, the beginning of this passage. Notice that he says we have to put them on. We have to put them on. When we act according to the old nature, we're actually taking off these garments and we're putting on the old. So either way, we're guilty because we're the ones who are doing it. Just like whenever you wear something at Walmart you shouldn't wear and people look at you and you're like, oh, I shouldn't have worn that, right? You're guilty. So this is an active thing. We must put off, put on daily. I want you to notice something. Look at your own life. When you're not conscious about what you should be doing, then that's when sin is present. At least it's more prevalent. But when you wake up and you're conscious about it, you have scripture to remind you, to guide you, to help you. And I'm talking about in here and in here. I'm not going to say you're not without sin, but you're having a better day. Or else you're being reminded and you're able to repent a lot, a lot earlier than if you didn't. So put on these godly traits daily. And then the last thing, depend on God for growth. So stay in his word. Pray for change. Put on godly traits daily and depend on God for growth. When you fail, repent. And continue to walk in faith. Never lose hope. One day, God will glorify your lowly body. Be thankful in all this that you belong to God. And whatever you do, as Paul says, in word or deed, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. See, I believe that the nature of this passage is very practical. As I started to look at it, to, to, to study it in order to prepare something for you, there was a lot of different ways I could have attacked this passage. And really and truly, if I wanted to look at it in a systematic way, and I wanted to break down the different doctrines in this passage, it would have been a lot shorter. I could have broken it down a lot shorter. But as I, as I read this passage in context, this is, not, this is not what Paul meant. When he wrote this letter, it was very practical, especially after chapter 3. Because the whole theological lessons, they're, they're really implanted in chapters 1 and 2. And in 3 and 4, it's more like, okay, I've, I've taught you these theological things. Uh, this is the way you should walk in them. And again, I, I, there are theological, great theological truths in verses 3 and 4. But it, it's more practical in nature. And so Paul is writing this. And, and yeah, I I've, I've could have talked about several different things. In fact, there's 
uh, a passage in here that is used for worship and how we should how we should worship the Lord, what we should do to worship. But it really isn't about that in context as we're reading it. That passage in itself is about being thankful. That we should be thankful in everything that we do, everything that we're involved in, everything that we say, we should be thankful. Everything that happens here, we should be thankful. So I believe the nature of this passage should be very practical. Even though the theologian in me wants to break down the passages, give you all the doctrines and show you, you see, this is, this, is what, this is what we ought to believe. But I'm pretty certain that wasn't Paul's intention. I think his intentions were very pastoral. He loved this church just like he loved all the churches he wrote to. The church was struggling with a works-based faith. The reason why they were struggling is because these false teachers had come into the church and they, 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 they were starting to have an influence on the people. That was one of the traits of the old nature. That's why Paul spends so much time talking about and asserting who Christ is in chapters 1 and 2. He wants them to know that, that they are saved by Christ. It wasn't themselves. They were incapable of saving themselves. And he goes on and he talks about the ministry of Christ. So yes, that was one of their traits of the old nature. And Paul says, no, you don't live according to the law anymore. And when I say that, I mean... No, the law does not save you. You can't meet these Ten Commandments and save yourselves. You need Christ. They must have also struggled with sexual sins, covetousness, anger, and an unbridled tongue. Because these are all other things that Paul addresses in this letter. Well, as I think about those sins that they struggled with, it makes me think of how really Not much has changed. A lot has changed, but yet not much has changed. Or if it's changed, it's just kind of going circular. What has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. We still struggle with these things. These things still run this world. These sins, they still run this world. These are the sins of man. As Paul said to the church then, we must do now. God is calling us to put off the old self. to Put on the new. Listen, as a Christian, you don't belong in old, tattered garments. Why? Because you are holy and beloved. And as God's holy and beloved, you must strive to put to death what is earthly in you. You must strive to put to death any memory of the old person and to clothe yourselves with the traits of the new nature. Now, is this going to happen automatically like I talked about last week? It's hard to put something to death. It is hard to bring an end to something that doesn't want to end. This is going to be 
a lifelong battle. It's a lifelong fight. But as I said in the beginning, sanctification is not easy. You're not who you used to be. You're not who you're supposed to be. You're growing in the image of Christ. That's where we're at today. And we must focus on putting on the new. On the new man. Let's pray.